Some brands are legendary. In every category, someone sets the standard and some companies create raving fans. Join Scott Wozniak and Caitlin Johnson of Swaz Consulting as we dig into the tactics and tools behind great organizations. How did the legends do it? And how can you become a legendary brand too? This is Scott Wozniak, CEO of Swaz Consulting, and I'd like to take a break from the tactics and tools for just a little mini interlude episode, just to tackle something that I have heard and uh, processed with a lot of my clients uh, on the executive coaching side and the strategy side as we build legendary brands. It's the audacity to say, man, be a legendary brand, be one of the great folks. Now, some of us uh, instinctively, this is who we are, this is what you drive for. Uh, from the time you were four or five years old, you wanted to be you know, president of the United States, gold medalist in the Olympics, you're gonna do the best. But there's a lot of folks who would say, man, I don't even know if that's realistic, uh, that seems foolish, who the smack do we think we are to think we should go for the great stuff and you know, I'm gonna be successful and I'm gonna be fine. What's wrong? What's wrong with being good uh, in my community? What's wrong with being just excellent and making a good living and having a simple life? Why do you have to go for this legendary grand global stuff all the time? And so let me just make a few comments and reactions if this is you or this may be one of the people on your team. Because if you're a grand crazy visionary like myself, actually that's more me, I, I was that kid always. What I've had to learn is deal with not everyone on my team or the folks I've worked with has always been that way. Uh, they, they instinctively pull back. In fact, my wife is not instinctively that way. She is excellent and pushes herself, but like, well, why do I have to go gold medalist all the time? Why can't I just do an excellent job and enjoy this? So it's a fair question. And you need to wrestle with it, either for yourself or for the people you want to bring along with you. So first, let me say this. Greatness is not about size or fame. I don't think that you should measure being one of the legendary brands. The reason I use that phrase, legendary brands, is really specific. I don't mean biggest company in the world, biggest company in your industry. I don't mean make a X amount of dollars, a billion, a hundred billion, a trillion now there are companies making. Uh, it's crazy. I don't care about your size, I care about your quality. And what I do know is if your quality is excellent, then it will push you. There's a certain sense of like, gosh, this is awesome, more and more people will want it. But you can certainly set boundaries on that. I don't care how big you get. I do care about doing it with excellence. And I do care about serving more people because literally for me, it's serving more people. Now, you know, if you serve a billion people and you serve them in such a way that they return a dollar of profit to you because they're glad and their life's better off for it, everybody wins, like they get something they wouldn't have got otherwise and, and grow and learn and whatever your product is, make your physical world better. You get a dollar back because you made $10 of impact and you did that for a billion people and you make a billion dollars, man, heck yeah. In that case, I'd want to make $10 billion because I'd rather, well, I don't know if there's 10 billion people to serve, but maybe 5 billion, right? Like why not make five billion people's lives better than one billion, or maybe 500 people's lives better instead of 100. More people's just more impact, and that matters to me. So sure, let's get big, but only if I'm doing it in a way that's great impact, and only if it is in a way that is helping me fulfill my calling, my life, my purpose along the way. 
if I have to ruin my life to help some other folks, then I'm probably not doing it the way I ought to do it. You know, maybe, maybe you're in one of these weird, tragic scenarios in history where you need to be a martyr, a sacrifice victim and, and give your life up for a cause. Um, and if so, man, much, much honor and respect to the folks who have served the world and their fellow man that way. But, but most of the time, if you're ruining your life to help others, you're doing it wrong. Find a way to do it that it is mutually life-giving and everybody walks away from the deal saying, man, I'm better off because I participated in that. We should do something like that again. That's the goal. And we just do that for more and more people with more and more quality every time. Yeah, the goal is excellence. The greatness is about quality. It's about impact. And it'll just by so chance happen to grow you. An example of this is Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A. So I wasn't here when this happened, but I worked with the people who were in the room and heard the story from them. Uh, and I knew Truett personally. I did work for him personally. I just wasn't on his staff when he did this. But there was a critical moment in the 1980s when the company was struggling. They had grown and grown, uh, but man, the 80s was a rough business time. Interest rates were crazy and they had borrowed a bunch of money to build their company because that's what you do, especially building new locations. You get loans, you build the locations, you pay off the old units. I mean, that's kind of how the system works. And they were pushing to grow and they were feeling real pressure to grow because at the time in the United States, there was a competing chicken restaurant in the similar kind of premium fast food lane called Boston Market. And Boston Market had borrowed a lot of money and gone really big. I mean, they, they were building 500 locations a year, Boston Market, if, if I get my story right. Again, I wasn't there. At the time, Chick-fil-A was building, building, and they borrowed a bunch of money and aimed for 100 new locations in a year or so. And it was rough and expensive. I mean, interest rates were in the 20% and change, if I get in the story right. Again, I was not on the team. So they're wrestling with how do we, can we keep up with this and what do we do? And they were having all this, we got to get bigger to keep up. We got to get bigger. And Truett, who was generally a very measured, thoughtful, kind, he wasn't rude here, but he got really intense. From what I heard, he slams his hand on the table and he says, that's enough of that. That's the last we're going to hear about getting bigger for bigger sake. The quote specifically I've heard said many times by the people who are in that room. He said, we will get better and our customers will demand that we get bigger. Let's put all our effort into getting better. That is what I'm talking about greatness. And in fact, it's actually my second point here. I can't tell you, I've spent a lot of time with the greats. I mean, like the guys like Truett and uh, pro athletes, uh, musicians, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to name drop, but I mean, I'm really not just pulling this. I was like, oh, I saw the guy on YouTube one time. Like I personally am friends with, uh, I don't know, at least 20, maybe 30 some billionaires. Um, gosh, maybe closer to 40 or 50 if I'm starting to do mental math. I mean, I know a lot of folks who've reached in the top tiers of their space and done remarkably well. And you know what is really interesting? a significant percentage of these people, I mean, this is unscientific, I need to go back and measure this, but at least half of them did not set out specifically to become big, famous, or wealthy per se. They set out to be great at what they did, and they eventually went there. Truett, Truett Cathy was not grinding for big and great. Part of his story, he was a restaurateur, had a successful restaurant in the Atlanta area, and he eventually launched a second restaurant. 
and trying to personally manage both of those. He says that was some of the hardest times of his life, trying to personally manage two restaurants. And he said one of the best gifts God ever, ever gave him is when his second restaurant burned to the ground, literally, like got ruined. And he said, great, I'll never reopen that sucker again. Uh, let's do that. And, and in his spare time, with the extra life that that gave him, he invented the first ever chicken sandwich in the world, boneless chicken on a bread bun sold. I mean, it sounds silly to say that no one had done that before, but they hadn't. And fancy recipe, like, you know, secret recipe for the breading still, secret recipe today, started licensing it, but would not open a second restaurant with it. This is why eventually after a license deal, he had a hard time keeping quality up with his licensed partners. He went into this newfangled franchising business model, so he wouldn't have to run it himself. He was not willing to pay any price to grind. He was he was in his 50s when this is all gone, late 50s, early 60s. He's still fiddling with franchising. And I don't know, maybe we'll try this risky thing. He was not aiming to be the biggest, greatest thing. Now, as, as God blessed him, as things took off, he said, well, let's steward this with excellence. Let's grow. Let's take care of this. He ended up becoming a billionaire who, when I worked, by the time I did work for Truett directly, Literally every month, we'd have a new standout front as a check into the office. And hey, what, what Lifetime Achievement Awards has Trent won this past month? Uh, because it would just stack them up. We, have, we had uh, bookshelves and glass cases just started filling the office. But like, oh, we're running out of places to put his Lifetime Achievement Awards. I mean, you want to talk about legendary leader. But he wasn't trying to get the money at all cost and grind, grind, grind. He was saying, I want to be there for my family. I want to serve my community. He taught... Bible study for 13-year-old boys and fostered kids in his home. He wanted to do all that while taking care of his customers, while making the dadgum best product he could make. Uh, excellence was what drove him. Greatness was doing what was in his lap with well, and eventually it turned into size and scale. You don't have to start with something where, man, I'm going for grand. I'm going to be legend. I mean, listen, I am. I have always been interested in doing that. But I've learned a lot, big life impact from being mentored by guys like Truett, seeing him personally do this and being like, listen, I am playing the long game here. I am not going to burn the candle at both ends, burn myself out by my 50s, but dang it, I'm going to get there. Man, I, I'm living a grand life and every year we grow and reach and more stuff happens and our, our audience and our, our numbers. I mean, I've, I've made more money than I expected to be making at the time of my life. But I've learned not to chase that directly. I manage it. I watch it. I'm disciplined with it. I learned those lessons the hard ways uh, in the early years. That you can't be sloppy there. But, but at the same time, yeah. This isn't an untrammeled drive to the big numbers. That that. You just go for excellence. So the final thing is this. Well, man, yeah, even if I want that, I'm like, the greats. I mean, some people, you just, I mean, who am I to think that I'm one of the greats of all time? Now, there are a handful of categories where you need to be born with just the right set of traits or you don't have a shot. Most of these are physical sports, gymnastics, basketball, sumo wrestling. There are some physical requirements if you're going to pull the game off. You just have to. You've got to be tall if you want to be great in basketball. 
And every now and then someone will throw out someone like Spud Webb, like who was 5'7", if I remember right, and an NBA player. Well, I'll say two things. One, Spud Webb was great and he made it in the NBA, but he wasn't the greatest. He made, now listen, maybe Spud was 6'7", and his same set of skills, he'd be up there with Jordan as one of the goats, right? The greatest of all time, but he wasn't. He's just good and, and got, but listen, even more today, are there any five seven NBA players? They're just not. I'm sorry. Much respect to Spud. It's not possible anymore. You've got to be tall if you want to be in the. I don't have a shot at that. I am. Uh, I'm American average five nine. That's my five feet nine inches. That's my ideal. Uh, last I checked, it's literally the American average. I'm right down the middle uh, for males in America. NBA is not really a shot for me. Sorry. Um, gymnastics is also not really a shot for me. Uh, I, I remember I went to the 1996 Olympics here in Atlanta, watched a bunch of events live, super cool. And one of the things that was a delight and surprise to me was seeing the men's gymnastics. Those guys are studs. I, we, we, my gymnastics, big deal in my family. We always watched them growing up. So when I finally got to go see him, I'm a young adult, I'm seeing these guys and I'm like, damn, these guys are ripped and amazing. And then I saw them in person and say, you saw someone walking around the streets and like, you know, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was a young man, but I, I turned to my buddies like, you know what? I take it back. I think I could take him. I mean, like, look at that guy's little. Look at that. There's a physics to the gymnastics. Same set of equipment, same thing. The taller you are, the harder it is to get some of those spins and rotations in. You just can't do it. It's a physics thing. You know, mind over matter, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, dude, if you want to tuck into a ball and spin, the smaller you are, the faster your balls can spin and, and you can do really cool stuff. You tucked in a tiny little ball. You're going to get more spins than I am. I mean, those most of those guys are about five foot flat. At least that was my, my gut. I don't know if that's, maybe they're taller, slightly shorter. I don't Maybe from a gut level, like just looking at them, I was like, oh, they're ripped, but they're not that big. Maybe I got a shot. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'd be doing spins and flips around my head and uh, take me out. But I, I don't have a shot at being a world-class gymnast. Um, sumo, similar. You got to be massive. I mean, big frames, wide frames. And I don't just mean uh, putting on pounds. I could do that part of it, right? There's a, you know, seven foot tall is some of the categories you got to play to do that the world heavyweight champions. Okay, great. If you're not pursuing one of those fields though, most of this stuff is malleable. Most of the brain skills is what we're talking about for our stuff. Um, analytical ability, creative ability, people skills, communication ability. I mean, if you have a functioning voice, you can be a great speaker. Yeah, yeah, maybe some people have a an inborn resonant tone. That's true. There's a certain ratio of the throat to the mouth cavities and all. makes some people's voice kind of more uh, radio resonant, if you will, like James Earl Jones, right? Um, dude's a stud. So sure, sure. But that doesn't mean you can't figure out how to shift your tone, match it and become a great communicator anyway. Some of the best communicators in the world don't have James Earl Jones voices. They just figure it out. You can figure this thing out. And so I hung out with these folks, looked at them, done a lot of studies. And listen, like we looked at child prodigies. Some people do stand out a lot as a kid in lots of different fields. There's ways to track the child prodigies. You know what we found? There's no strong correlation between the child prodigies and the people who go on to actually become the greats in the world. That's both meaning that many of the child prodigies don't go on to become great. They plateau. And many of the greats didn't start as child prodigies. Yeah, some of them do. And a lot of them don't, and a lot of the greats don't. There's a more fundamental skill of learning the systems of growth and improvement on how you get there. And this is true not just for individual artists or performers, this is companies. 
many of the greatest companies in their field, the legendary ones we talk about, did not start that way. There are a few that started off with his grand ambition from the beginning, Amazon. Jeff Bezos was a grand visionary from the beginning. Books was his first piece, but he always wanted to be an everything store. But, I mean, even Apple didn't even start that way. Apple, one of the greatest, largest, most revered companies in its the world right now, is uh, started with a couple of dudes. Like, we could probably sell that computer. And honestly, Apple almost crashed and died. The board, the board, the board of Apple at one point said, maybe we need to give all the money back to our shareholders, sell the company, shut the doors down, and we're done. And that was right about, or maybe we bring in Steve Jobs back. I don't know. He did such a bad job the first round. Maybe... Maybe he has grown a little, maybe grown mature Steve could pull something off. That's how bad Apple was. It was a tiny slice of the market. I think 2% if I'm remembering right. They were survival. Now, Steve was audacious, and he, but, but at the time, literally the goal, Steve's just like, let's just do this with excellence. And then he grew into it, both himself and the company. This was not the original vision and plan and trajectory. It was a cool little spike and then crash. And then out of that crash, they barely didn't go out of business and came back. Yeah, listen, you don't have to start with grand ambition. You don't have to look that way. In fact, I'll finish with this. I've done a lot of official studies where I go inside, have the interviews, sit with the teams and say, hey, listen, I am looking at the greatest organizations in the world at this characteristic. You are known for this. I want to talk and learn from you, and they'll bring me in. I've spent 20 years doing this. It's been a really unique feature in my life and career. All the Swaz stuff that we do comes out of this bedrock of this rich, rich soil of, man, I've actually seen, I just read books about it. I've gone, talked to the guys who did it, watched them do it, did it with them. Um, Company after company, industry after industry, it's been a pattern in my life, and I'm so grateful. It's been one of the great joys. Can I tell you one of the defining features, the overwhelming majority of times I go to a company or a leader and say, hey, I want to sit with you, roll your sleeves up. They eventually let me do it. But you know what we always end up talking about in the early stages? They're like, I mean, we'll let you do that. But Scott, you got to understand, we're not that great. You know, I just want to warn you, you might be disappointed what you see. And inevitably, I end up learning stuff. But we're talking the greats. I mean, think of the big ones that you're thinking of. I've I've probably had a good chance. A lot of these brands get to know them. They have a mindset that is not, hey, I'm going to pursue greatness at all costs. We're the best in the world. We got this. That kind of audacity that slides into arrogance that I'm certain I'm excellent. I'm the best that's ever been and I'm going to be. That's actually inversely correlated. No, it's usually this humble learner mindset. Maybe my favorite example of this is, um, if I'm going to say his name right, I'm not sure, but uh, Kano Gajoro. Mr. Jigoro was the creator of the martial art judo. So I've dabbled. I am not a master in any of this stuff, but I've taken a couple different forms of martial arts over the years. And so I know a tiny bit of judo, did some wrestling in high school, so played with some judo, and and there's some clear overlaps there. Um, Yeah, judo's, uh, he was a black belt in multiple other forms of martial arts and then made his own martial art. I mean, talk about a master. And because of this history, like, you know, learned all these forms, mastered multiple disciplines, created his own discipline. There was this bit of a debate when his end was coming. They asked him, sir, well, which which black belt do you want to be buried in? Which, which, which outfit? I mean, like, which martial art would be your final resting outfit? 
And he said, none of my black belts. He said, bury me in my white belt. See, a white belt in all the martial arts is the belt of the beginner, the total newbie who has no idea what's going on and needs to be taught how to stand, how to squeeze his fists. I mean, just ABCs, uh, basic stuff. And he said, I am more proud of my learning ability than I am of the accomplishments I've made. You want to talk about greatest in the world, audacity, legendary brand, builder of not just uh, himself, but an entire organization of masters, judo dojos, all this stems out of him. He put in whole, you know, world competitions. And I mean, he really built an organization and a movement out of it. And his mindset is the mindset I would say made him a master. It is the white belt, humble beginner mindset. Yes, yes. You should have the audacity to think that you should become great, but not because you are somehow inherently born with a special magic trait sauce that no one else has. That could actually come back to bite you. But you should reach for greatness because one, it is actually possible. It's just a set of skills. Unless you're going to be a sumo wrestler or a gymnast, maybe maybe you can do this. All the greats had to learn it. Why can't you learn what they learn? Maybe it'll take you a little longer than some others. I'm sure if you feel like you're behind, but you might be surprised. Just keep learning and you can, and you should go for greatness because what it really means is that you have the personal joy of mastering a craft and you have the deep public satisfaction of knowing you have made people's lives better. You should help more people if you're really good at what you do. If you really have figured something out that's valuable, why don't we provide more value to more people? Make our skills better so it's even more valuable and connect with more people so they can be blessed by it. That's noble. That's right. That's called good stewardship. If you, frankly, let me finish with like an odd twist. If you have a gift and a challenge, and if you legitimately have something that makes people's lives better, then you're a bad steward if you don't try to keep improving it both in quality and quantity. You're robbing the rest of us. Go for gold. Reach for the stars. Become a legendary brand because that's the right thing to do. Because it doesn't matter where you start from. It's just all a set of learning skills. So welcome to the journey. We'll keep talking from lessons and tools and tactics. But based on some of the feedback we've gotten uh, from listeners, I thought this might be a meaningful thing. Maybe this is for you, maybe this is for your team, but greatness is possible. Maybe even greatness is calling you. The question is not, can you? The question is, are you willing to answer the call? Thanks for spending some time with us on your journey to legendary. If you enjoyed this episode and want more content like this, you may want to sign up for our newsletter. You can do that and learn about all the ways we are helping leaders build legendary brands at swazconsulting.com. That's www.swozconsulting.com. Greatness is possible. You just have to build the right engine.